Romans chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn with me as we continue on in our study. The time for truth is now, this very moment. Thank you, Kimber. You are gifted and most creative. I use like one thing and she's got 27. Like things just swirling, like motion and spaghetti, like wonderful dinner and finish strong and Samaritan's purse and pack the box and like swirling stuff. Just take a deep breath. Okay, we have this before us and we need the Lord's help as he opens our eyes. Literally, it says that if we have ears to hear, let us hear. You pray with me. Father, we ask that you would be heard this morning, first and foremost. Every word that is spoken, may it bring glory to you and you alone. Please help me. Please help each one of us as we hear from you this morning. We ask this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, we finally get to Romans chapter 11. If you recall it all, I have referenced... Romans chapter 11, numerous times, particularly the last, the final four verses, which are referred to as a doxology of praise. Oh, the depth, the riches, and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how unfathomable his ways, for from him, through him, and to him are all things, to him be glory forever and ever. And we can't wait, and we build towards those verses in the latter part of verse 11, but, but, we're not there yet. Prior to that stands these verses. There's some, some, some great teaching, but I would say there's actually greater theology. But I want to I wanna preface things a little bit. If, if you thought that Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10 were hard to accept. Let me make something very clear. Romans chapter 11 is just hard, okay? I actually was reading this week of one pastor who was preaching through the book of Romans, taking the church through a very careful verse-by-verse expositional study. When he got to Romans chapter 11, he said this, and I quote, This is just too difficult. I don't know what to say about it. And Vacation Bible School is coming up. We really need to be praying for that. So let's pick it up in Romans chapter 12. And he just skipped it. And I thought, I, I could never do that. But then in my mind, I was like, you know, Christmas is coming and we really need to be praying. And Romans chapter 12 is really a great chapter. But we can't. We can't do that. Because the subject at hand, Paul is explaining the outworking of salvation. We have talked about salvation all the way up and now the outworking. But he focuses primarily here on Israel, on Israel and its future. Now, just a little point of reference. When I refer to Israel here, I'm not only referring to a little kind of 
a little slice of land in the Middle East on the Mediterranean Sea. Certainly a portion of it, but primarily I'm focusing on when I refer to Israel as what? Jewish people. A population, get this, 14.7 million people worldwide. What is fascinating is that that is less than 1%. It's actually 0.2% of the entire world's population is being addressed right here. We know that 6.7 million Jews live in Israel. 5.7 million Jews live in the United States. 1.5 million in New York City alone. And it's important because what? I believe on some level, the future of the Jewish people impacts the rest of the entire world. Future. Now, now there's an entire subdivision of systematic theology called eschatology. That's the study of end times. Premillennial view, Christ comes before the millennial post-millennial, after, all-millennial, preterism, partial preterism, dispensation, all of these most difficult subjects, and, and, and not just difficult to understand, more difficult to agree upon. And I will deal with each of those in depth and in detail when I preach through the book of Revelation, which will happen, Lord willing, sometime before I die. The average lifespan is 78.7. I'm 50. I got 25 years. So just hold on tight for that particular study. For now, we understand eschatology and how we understand the future really is dependent upon how we understand Romans chapter 11. This is Paul's, what, most complete teaching on the future of the nation Israel. Let's pick it up. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I ask then, has, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left and they seek my life but what is what is God's reply to him I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace but if it is by grace it is no longer on the basis of works otherwise grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. The word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul begins this section, same style, same approach as he has done 
many times. He begins with a rhetorical question, a question that is so obvious it doesn't even need to be answered. Has God rejected, the word is cast away, thrown off his people? By no means. Which at some level sounds totally weird. Totally weird. It seems almost crazy because what? This is a group of people who still refuse to acknowledge that the New Testament even exists. This is a group of people who have removed Isaiah 53. Let's just not read that particular chapter because it points to Jesus. Israel, if you recall, numerous references throughout the book of Romans so far have openly, repeatedly, and blatantly rejected Christ. They refused to accept the gift of salvation as offered by grace. And what did they want to do? They wanted to keep their own idea. Their tradition, their heritage, their religion, their, their, their works over the single work. The once and for all time atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. So Paul is what? Paul, who was a, a former Pharisee, he was what? He was the religious elite of the Jews. And he has already seen it. He has lamented. He has ached and wept and he has cried over his Jewish brothers and sisters. We saw this in, in Romans chapter 9. I have great sorrow in my heart for you. So much so that he even said, I wish I was accursed. I wish I was cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, my sisters. So, so what does this mean? What does this verse, this promise matter for Israel? And what's up with these people? George Bernard Shaw, early 20th century Irish author, playwright, Nobel Prize winner in literature. He's the one who gave us My Fair Lady, if you remember that. He kind of dabbled in Marxism. He was a socialist. At one particular point in his life, he was actually an atheist. He was speaking with a theologian. And he asked this particular theologian, he said, can you prove the existence of God? Can you give me some certainty for the existence of God? To which the theologian replied, he said, Sir, I can prove the existence of God with two words. The Jews. The Jews. Something about this people group, the Jewish people were what? Go all the way back to the very first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15. They are God's chosen, and they have been given a promise. The nation Israel was the conduit, was the means by which the promised Messiah came, just as what? They were redeemed from slavery in the book of Exodus, from Egyptian bondage. It was through their line that there was one who is going to redeem all of mankind from the worst type of bondage, that of sin and that of death. So what? The New Testament opens, Matthew chapter 1, with very careful genealogical record. Father to son to grandson, all the way through Abraham, Isaac to Jacob, to Judah, to David, to Solomon, to Rehoboam. We see all the way down through the list. 
Eleazar, Mathon, Jacob, Joseph, to Jesus, through the Jewish people. And yet what is amazing is Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, he says this, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you nailed to the cross, whom you crucified. What happens now? Does God turn them over? Does he forget them, forsake them? Ever study? Familiar with the history of the Jewish people? It, it, it may seem that, I, I guess, God has rejected them. Our history books, what? Accurately display what? The atrocity of what is referred to in Hebrew as the Shoah. The catastrophe or the Holocaust. Six million Jewish people with someone what? Seeking to exterminate an entire race. And yet for some reason, it continues to exist. And 0.2% of the entire population of the globe, that this people group and what's going to happen has impact and effect on us? This little slice of land, it's the size of New Jersey that they abide in, exist in. It has the population of Indiana. And yet, if you think of it, it is one of the most influential nations in the entire globe. It leads virtually in every single area of science and technology and medicine, agricultural, militarily speaking. When, when we developed our F-16 fighters, what the Israeli pilots taught our pilots how to fly our own planes. There's something about these people. Romans 11 speaks of the future of this most blessed people group. And to say, well, it's in a remarkable history. Well, that's, that's an understatement. Remarkable this is a people group that has divine governance in many ways. After the destruction of the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Jews were dispersed. They were exiled for over 2,000 years. And yet they still never lost their ethnic or national identity. Jews still say, and they still sing to one another, after they push their chairs away from the Seder Supper. Lashana, Habab, Yerushalam. In Hebrew it means what? Next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. There's something that's unique. You and I live in a country that's called a what? It's the melting pot. We all come from different backgrounds. Comprised of families from Italy and Ireland and England and Holland. Or Africa or Asia. And we all are proud of our backgrounds. There's Irish-American or Italian-American or Asian-American or African-American. But we know that we blend and meld together as Americans. We can and should be proud of our heritage. But we have assimilated into this particular culture. But not so with the Jewish people. Anywhere you go in the globe. And they worship and they speak the same language. They have an unquenchable awareness of their national and ethnic identity. So much so that what? They've missed the gospel. 
And they've rejected the Messiah because they are seeking salvation through their own law, through their own works. That's why Paul has wept for them. Since 1948, the reconstitution of the nation of Israel. After 1967, the Six-Day War, where they recaptured Jerusalem. It now, what, resides as their capital. I don't care what your geopolitical views are. I don't care what your eschatological views are. Every single one of us better admit to one thing. Something is up with this people group. Since that time, the very real question has to be asked. It has been asked repeatedly. Are we now living in the end times? Like, look around us. Isn't this, is this the final days? One thing, one thing we know for certain is that what we learn from our text, we rest in the fact that God at some level, although he has been rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected, God at some level has not rejected the Jews. And we know this from Paul's testimony himself. What does he say? As we examine the history, he says, I, I, I'm, I'm an Israelite. I'm a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. That's why he's reiterating the fact that God does not and God will not categorically reject. So as we think about the gospel message, okay, and we have hearts heavy, we're weeping tears. Our prayers for the lost. God does not categorically reject. He what? He foreknew. He knows. Or else he would have what? He would have rejected Paul, who was the ultimate of Pharisees. And now to, to explain this and to illustrate this, he goes and he quotes one of Israel's greatest prophets of all time. Elijah. Now, very quickly, Elijah, let me set this scene. In 1 Kings chapter 18, has challenged and decisively won the battle over the prophets of Baal. Remember Mount Carmel? Where they're praying to the prophets of Baal, and, and they begin to cut themselves, and they're shouting, please, just, just bring fire down from heaven. Show us. False gods. They have eyes that cannot see and ears cannot hear. And then Elijah steps up to pray to the one true God. And he what? God demonstrates himself and his power and he erupts. He doesn't just burn up, to, doesn't just burn up the sacrifice. He burns everything up. Elijah has decisively won this victory. And following that, he is what? He's a fugitive on the run. Both King Ahab and Queen Jezebel want him dead. And this particular scene here, these words are in the aftermath of his victory. And he knows that even though God has revealed himself an amazing display of power, the Jewish people, his own fellow countrymen, were reverting back to paganism, to the worship of false gods, returning to their wicked ways. Elijah feels like many of us may feel at times discouraged and distraught. 
He was being chased and hunted and hounded and persecuted for his faith. And he cries out. And you can hear the strain in his voice. Lord, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars. And Elijah says this. Just like you have whispered the same. I am left alone. I'm all by myself. They want to kill me. Depressing, dark, and in all honesty, it is a hopeless, helpless pronouncement. These are his own fellow countrymen, men and women, brothers and sisters, who have firsthand witnessed the hand of God's provision and protection and answered prayer, and they reject Elijah looking at him says, that's it. It's over. That, that's a little bit of the background. That's the history. But let me, let me speak now on the future of the Jews that God refuses to reject. That a remnant will be saved. L- listen very carefully to these blessed, and I would say most beautiful, beautiful words. What is God's reply to him? What is God's reply to Elijah? I alone am left. God says this, I've kept for myself 7,000 men who refused to bow to Baal. He says in in what, verse 6, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. And if it's by grace, it's not based on works or else it wouldn't be grace. A couple key words to hold on to and, and to rest in and to trust in this morning. And the first part is what? This word remnant. In, in, in Greek, it's the word lima. It means a small part that is left after most of it has been removed. A group of people who survive a catastrophe brought about by God or narrowly in judgment of sin. Now that 7,000, I was studying that, like, so who's the 7,000 and where? I, I don't think that's a literal number. Seven, oftentimes seven, 700, 7,000. Seven is a, is a number of completion, is a number of perfection. So I think God is reminding what? That, that although there's a remnant, a small portion, there's still many who are alongside of Elijah in God's plan to redeem. A remnant. But there's also this phrase, what? Who are chosen by grace. Now, now note, the key is that it's by grace. That's unmerited favor. I've chosen a remnant that have been saved, what? Not through their own works. This is what? This speaks of God's sovereign grace. And Paul is saying, what? What is true in Elijah's day is true in his own day, and I believe it's true in our own day today. Listen carefully. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. Matthew Henry says this is called a remnant according to the election of grace. They are such as were chosen from eternity in the counsels of divine love to be vessels of grace and glory. 
And we see it's what? Not by anything that we can do by way of works. And so we have to always make sure with great care we connect, we link election, which is a hard doctrine to understand and accept, certainly. But we always link election with grace. Tom Schreiner in his, Tom Schreiner in his commentary on Romans says, Many worry that the choosing of some and not all would be unjust. But this idea overlooks the fact that no one deserves to be elected. Thus, the election of any is a merciful God that cannot be claimed as a democratic right. The salvation is not a right. If anyone had the right, if anyone had the right for salvation, who would it be? It would be God's chosen. It would be the Jews. Thankfully, we see just because many have rejected God, God does not reject across the board. He graciously and he patiently sees the individual. And I love that. And I love the encouragement that is found in this particular text because we have individuals in our sights and they're on our prayer list. We put their picture on their fridge and we pray and we plead. And God always, always, always sees the individual. Now we still know that what? Population, according to the world, it's a very small number. It says broad. Broad is the road to destruction. Narrow is the path to life. The couple remaining verses, verses 8 through 10, are all Old Testament quotes. From Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 9, from Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 29, from David in Psalm chapter 6, 9. And those, those last couple verses, they're, they're tough ones to read. They all speak of God's justice. For those who live with a continued, unrepentant, hardened heart. So what do we do? Now we, we kind of pan back. We step back and we see here, like, what... Like, what was the difference? What is the advantage? The greatest advantage the Lord gave to his chosen people was what? What's the difference? God revealed to the Jewish people his own word. God, God did not give his word to the Babylonians. Okay, God did not give his word to the Assyrians. Entire what? Entire king no longer exists. Pay eight bucks when you get over there and you can walk through the ruins. So the, the difference is what? Israel was given the very oracles of God. The very words of God. And with the words that were offered, just like the words that you hear this morning, the words that you share with anyone in your sphere, your circle of influence, is the choice, the opportunity, the responsibility was given to what? To accept, to receive, and most certainly to obey. David the psalmist describes it like this in this very well-known psalm, chapter 23. You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which speaks of what? A banquet feast, a table of blessing, or as we see right here in our text this morning in Romans chapter 11, when the word is given, when you hear the word and you reject it, 
and you disobey. This is a quote here, right here, from Psalm 69, verse 22. Let their table, which we, what, if we hear the word, we feast at as a table of blessing, or what? Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block, which speaks of what? It speaks of the truth of judgment and retribution. So to those who are being saved, what is the word? It is sweetness. This word is, is honey. It is a blessing to be enjoyed. Or else what? To those who are perishing, what is this word? It is poison. Close it up, put it away. I don't want to hear it. What many in this world have done today. Close it up. I don't want to hear it. Which is interesting today that just as the word is given, you are given to be a blessing to other people. And you ever, you, ever, you ever bump into this that sometimes as you share the good news of the gospel, some people hear that and you're what? You're received as thank you so much. What a blessing, what a needed, necessary word. Or else, have you ever shared the gospel with someone and it is total rejection? It actually says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. You know what this talks about, the fact? It talks about the fact that you are a sweet-smelling aroma, just like the Word of God is. And you know what? To other people, when you share the good news of the gospel, they will be very quick to tell you, you stink. Because you remind me of that which I do not want to hear. The Word placed before us this morning. What is this like, okay, so like interesting history lesson. Okay, future, not yet. What, what does this mean? Like, like, so what? What does this matter? How does this apply? Two things, very quickly in closing. The first one is whenever you read verses about the remnant, it should motivate us to be faithful. Why is that important? You ever feel like, like you're the only one? Yes? You, you ever feel like, like at your school, you're just like the weird one? Your workplace, you go, what, to the gym? While you're on the bus? In a waiting room? You hear the reports, the party that you chose not to go to. Because you know what? The environment is toxic. It's rancid. It's not going to help you in your walk. You chose not to go to the party and you're the weird one left out. You ever feel like that? Like I'm all alone. How about, how about the joke that, that everyone else laughs at? That you're going to walk away from. Because you know it's demeaning. It's disgusting. It's not going to help you in your walk towards holiness, towards godliness. It's not going to help you to laugh at something disgusting. 
And as everyone laughs in that circle, and you're by yourself, you're like, yeah, this, this doesn't like make sense here. Or how about the fact that somebody says, hey, I want you to, I want you to um, just fudge the numbers a little bit. Just give a little bit of a false report. And make it like pat it just a bit, a bit. Make it look better than it is. And you're like, no, I, I can't do that. And you know that your job could be on the line because you're not going to lie for someone. When you know what? When you feel like I am the only one, what's going to happen? You will be mocked. You will be made fun of. You will be ridiculed. You will be passed over. You'll be relegated to the back of the classroom. Because why? Because you believe in a sovereign God. Young people, today, you believe in the authority of Scripture and people mock you for it because they say that's just a, a table of fables. When you take a stand that says what? I, I, I believe in literal creation. It says six 24-hour days. God spoke it into existence and I'm going to believe that. And people make fun of you for that. When you say, yeah, Christmas is coming up and we celebrate the virgin birth. And like, really? When you take a stand for the sacredness of marriage to be exclusively between a man and a woman, people will relegate you to the back of the bus. When you what, take a stand that says sex is a gift that is reserved exclusively for husband and wife under no circumstance is it ever to be taken outside of that context or else you're playing with fire and you take that stand, what's going to be happening to you? Who do you think you are? You think you are so much better. When you take a stand that salvation is by faith alone and grace alone through Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and that you take a stand that every single step that you take in life and every single breath that you breathe is for the glory of God alone. Let me tell you what's going to happen to you. You're going to feel exactly like Elijah felt. I am all alone. It's just not right. It's just, it's, this is not fair. In those moments, that's when you remember a moment like this. Where God is at work and he is forming and he is shaping and he is drawing and he is calling people unto himself. By his grace and for his glory. And remember this. It is a wonderful thing to be counted in that number. It is a wonderful gift of God's, God's grace. So when you feel odd, and you feel, will feel odd, when you feel weird or different or left out, let me tell you this, upon the authority of Scripture, you better be okay with that. Because why? Because it is far, far far more important for you to be faithful than it is for you to be cool. It is far more important for you to be holy than to be viewed successful by the world. T today is a reminder, this moment 
has been established since the foundations of the world were set for you to hear that we are to live, that you, you personally, the person that you are, the shape that you are, the size that you are, the mind that you've been given, the body that you've been, what, called to steward, your beautiful or weird and wild ways, your little idiosyncrasies, that you are to live for God's glory above everything else. Above everything else. So when you hear this word, we're to motivate it to be faithful. When you hear verses about grace, throughout the word of God, it should what? It should move us to be grateful. Faithful and grateful. Tony Marita writes, what grace is not the default understanding of the human heart. Think about that. Grace is not the place that we go. It is not the default understanding of the human heart. Matter of fact, it seems like grace, like just a gift that is offered, is the last place that we go. Think what people do. People, what do they do in order to soothe their conscience, in order to appease or to get rid of some sense of guilt that you have, some, some sense of burden or worry or fear or stress or anxiety? What is it that people do? They race. What? Therapy for some kind of a self-help, a self-betterment. Tell me how amazing I am. And so they go to what? I better check the box off for going to church because that's a good work. And they check the box. Got to diet a little bit more. If I'm a little bit more trim and then I'll feel better about myself. Or exercise. Or medicine. Or, or people self-medicate. Through work, money, education, travel. Let me, let, me, let me make a statement. And you can write this down. You can go to the bank with this. You're going to hold tight. You will never, ever, ever drink away your sense of guilt. There's nothing out there that you can gorge yourself on that's going to remove your, your sense of lostness. Or wandering. There's nothing you can buy. There's no magical weight you can get to, to get to. There's no certain IQ that you can work towards. There's no degree that will ever what? Replace your sense of depravity or despair or your sense of worthlessness. You can, you can ignore it for a while. You can bury it and you can hide it for a brief time. But we will only be saved. We will only be fully satisfied. You will only be fully satisfied in life by undiluted grace. A gift that you receive. God's unmerited favor upon you is offered to all. But it's only going to be enjoyed. It's only going to be what? It's going to be a gift that you bask in. 
and bathe in. Grace is only going to be something that you are, what, once and for all time soothed by if you, what, recognize the fact that you are a sinner first and foremost. We don't teach, we don't rehearse this with our kids. They pick it up on their own and they do really well with it. No one, no one parent has ever said, okay, son, this is what I want you to do. This is how you pick a fight with your little sister. We, we don't teach them that. We don't teach them how to have temper tantrums. So we recognize that we are sinners and we repent from that. We seek to turn from that. And the only way we turn from that is to trust that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin and for your sin. We have moments like today set apart since the foundation of the earth was set for us to hear and to live in great amazement and grateful awe that God extends his grace to you. Enjoy it and share that and be faithful to the work that God has called us to do as he is what? As he is charting a course for the future of mankind. Father, we love you. We are amazed that you have not thrown us away. That just as you promised to save a remnant of your chosen, that you are saving today people who are in need of you. We love you. We thank you for your love for us. In your name we pray. Amen.